and welcome to this week's Inside Education, the podcast for educators interested in teaching, with me, Sean Delaney. I'm a primary teacher and teacher educator myself, and my book about teaching is called Become the Primary Teacher Everyone Wants to Have. It has chapters on various aspects of teaching, from planning to differentiation, and from behaviour management to assessment. You can listen to or download over 400 episodes of Inside Education by going to seandelaney.com and clicking on podcasts. Follow me on Twitter where I use the handle at InsideEd. You can write with suggestions, questions or feedback to InsideEducationPodcast at yahoo.com. On the programme this week, we consider the topic of school libraries, or more specifically, the work of a school librarian. Although not many schools in Ireland have their own full-time school librarian, that is not the case everywhere. Today I'm speaking to someone from the state of Virginia in the United States who works as a school librarian in the Albemarle school system. Ida May Craddock May has worked as a school librarian for 20 years and has published articles in the School Library Journal and elsewhere on topics such as self-care tips for librarians, creating virtual reality field trips, and more recently, professional development opportunities from home and virtual field trips. She has won plaudits for her innovative thinking, leadership with technology, and collaborative approach in the school library community. You'll like this programme if you want to learn more about school libraries and the work of a school librarian. You'll hear about the kind of services that a school library can offer, why students go there, how they use the library and what resources they use in the library. You'll also find out about the kind of books that students in her school like to read. When I met up with May, I first asked her to tell me about the school she works in. I work in a comprehensive 9-12 high school. in 9-12, that means grades 9 to 12. Grades 9 through 12, so they would be ages 14 to 18. Um, it's a secondary school. Almost anyone in Charlottesville can go there. The students there are extremely diverse. It is a great school to work in. I really enjoy it because I get to see all kinds of students from all walks of life, um, very wealthy students, very poor students, students of all kinds of races and backgrounds. Um, we have almost 57 languages represented at our school. So there is a lot of diversity in our school and I appreciate that very much. About how many students and how many staff do you have? We have 188 staff and a little more than 2,000 students. So that's a big school. It's a big school. Mm -hmm. How typical is it for a school in the United States to have a school librarian? It is in Virginia, which is my state, the state standard is to have two librarians and one assistant at the high school level. At the middle school, there is one librarian per 600 students. So our middle school may have, all of them have one librarian. Some of them have an assistant as well if they're over 600 students. That same standard applies to our primary schools, which will be age five through 11. They also have one school librarian and then if they come over 600 students in that school they'll also have a library assistant. And is there a minimum size for a school that a school needs to be in order to have a librarian? Yes, 150 students. So if you have 150 students then you're required to have a school librarian. And that's a full-time school librarian. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us what your job involves? 
My job involves almost everything. We are critical to the mission of the school because we are one of the only places in the school where everyone has access. You don't have to be in a special program. You don't have to make a certain GPA. You don't even have to like to read to come to the library. So That's great, great point average GPA. Right. Yes, great point average. You don't even have to be a high achieving student or a low achieving student. It doesn't matter what kind of student you are, you can have access to the library. So we are one of the only places in the school where we interact with every student who comes in the door. We do a lot of co-teaching. So we will teach alongside teachers often in all subject areas. So we'll teach a lot of geometry, also language arts classes, also math and science and history and all kinds of subjects. Robotics is a frequent user of the library. So we will co-teach with many. We also do a lot of collection development. So we buy books and advocate for reading in all kinds of forms, online books, paper books. And last, we're a, a haven. So we're a study place and a place where kids can come and try out their ideas. So if they have an idea about something, they can come to us do the research, and then we will help them make their idea real, which is a great place to have. When you say that you teach, how is that teaching different to the teaching that would be done by the regular subject teacher or the regular class teacher? It's not substantially different. What it is is added value. So, for example, our geometry teacher may be studying the golden ratio, you know, Fibonacci's number. So they may come into the library because we have space and expertise and I can put together a lesson on all of the ways that Fibonacci's sequence occurs in nature and then we can attempt to draw and make items that adhere to that ratio. So are you expected to have knowledge across all the different curricular areas then? Yes, absolutely. It is not uncommon for librarians to be certified to teach in several different areas. If I was not a school librarian, I would also be qualified to teach French or Spanish or English, history. I think that might be it. But yes, I have a lot of license. Oh, earth science. I have a lot of licenses such that I can teach across the board and have an array of knowledge. Are all school librarians also certified teachers? No. By and large, yes. Not all of them, no. It's so, a separate master's degree. So could you create a picture of what your library is like in the school? So our school library is directly inside the front doors of the school. So it's almost the first room that you get to. It is the size of about five average classrooms. In the far back is a recording studio where students have classes, but also go in to record music, podcasts, all kinds of different audio. They do a lot of beat making and singing and all kinds of creative things in there. And then in front of that is a classroom space and the nonfiction stacks. So there's quite a few stacks in the back. 
And then we have genreified the library. So all of our fiction books are sorted by subject. So the science fiction section, graphic novels, romance. So those books are on the right as you come in. And then in the middle is an additional classroom and presentation space where students can have class, have speakers. We have quite a few speakers who come in and talk to the students almost weekly. There's a reference room off to the left where it's quiet study. A little further up towards the front of the room is the circulation desk where we manage our circulation and that's where our library assistant primarily sits. And then off to the left of that is our student run help desk. So we're a one-to-one -one school where all of our students are issued laptops for their schooling, and those are serviced and repaired by students who are housed in the library. The student help desk is run by students? Yes. It is run by students and executed by students. I serve in an advisory role for that. And then past the circulation desk is our peer tutoring center, where students meet to tutor each other. Academics, mostly. So. At any one moment, there could be multiple groups in different parts of the library. Yes. The most, we can have two classes, teaching two classes simultaneously. Um, we can have up to probably 200 students in the library safely. And do they need to be rostered on a weekly basis or how does that work? They sign in when they come in unless they're with a class. If they're with a class, they just jump in and we start teaching them. If they are not with a class, they have to sign in so and that we can keep track of who's where. And you mentioned that you did a master's in library studies. Was it, can, you, can you tell us a little bit about that course? Sure, I taught as a classroom teacher for about 15 years before I started my master's degree in library science at Old Dominion University in um, Norfolk, Virginia. And that is a three-year course of study in which you learn how to be a school librarian. It is unusual for school librarians to come straight out of university. Usually they have some classroom experience first. And what was the syllabus on that program like? So you really start by examining your own community and what your community needs from a school librarian. And once you have sort of established what your community requires, because all school libraries are community-based institutions. So once you know what your community needs, then you can learn how to do things like purchase resources for your community that will be used find those resources, and then you need to learn how to deploy those resources in an effective way. So knowing a lot of things helps no one if you keep it to yourself. So making sure that those resources are relevant and used is probably the most difficult and best practice of a school librarian. At the end of this course of study, hopefully you would be a better teacher in addition to being a better librarian, because I think we talk a lot about being a teacher librarian and the teacher part always comes first and the librarian part always comes second because we are a way for students to access their own ideas in a creative way and to remove barriers to whatever their achievement should be. 
How big a part of your job is the acquisition of books and texts for the library? It's a fairly large part of my job. I'm blessed to have a very lovely and excellent co-library named Erica Thorson, and she is really superior at collection development. So we work together to choose those resources for a variety of purposes. We sometimes purchase for book groups so that individuals can read, and we also really focus on books that are representative of our culture and making sure that all students are represented by the literature that's in the library. So it's a pretty large part of the job in that you really have to have the book on hand. So you can't wait until after the student asks for that book to have the book. They need to be attracted to the one that's in front of them. You have a budget for books every year, presumably. Yes, absolutely. We have a budget of $10,000 for our library each year, and we use the bulk of that to do collection development, but it's also used for um, supplies because we do a lot of making and building in our library. We also use it to support the Library of Things, which is um, our program where we lend out stuff. For example, there are um, national park backpacks that students can take out. There are baking pans and all kinds of different items that students and teachers can check out. Things that they wouldn't necessarily be able to purchase, but would still want to use. And do you find that nowadays, not all of your books are paper, that you would be buying digital books or audio books or Kindle books, things like that? Absolutely. When school closed for the pandemic, which was very sudden and jarring, we put the bulk of our remaining budget into ebooks. So we have a fairly robust ebook collection before we were closed, um, and we've added to that since because we still have ongoing book groups, book groups that are meeting online, students who are reading around, and those need to be available. Being stuck at home is no fun. Being stuck at home with no books is, like, tragic. (laughs) It's a good way of putting it. And do you have all the materials in the library? Are they all catalogued? Yes, Mm -hmm. by and large. So, like, that must be a huge job. It is. It's really fun, though. (laughs) You'll know. (laughs) Librarians are a very precise crew. I don't know if you're aware. really enjoy the precision of making sure that we know where everything is and we know how often those things are used and who has them currently. It really helps with our keeping the library fresh so that we know that if this book hasn't been checked out in five years, why are we keeping this book on the shelf? So we can rotate the books through. And the same is true of technologies. So if we have our technologies all cataloged and we know that this technology has been gathering dust for several years, there's no reason to keep the technology, you know, or spend money to replace the technology. And when you talk about technology, I mean, would you have, say, language learning technology in there where you can listen to, it's probably not tapes anymore, but you can listen to uh, language files and things like that for learning languages? The language learning things are mostly online. We do manage the databases that we have. So we have quite a catalog of databases and language learning would be included in those. 
So we have the technologies that we have would be things like document cameras, projectors, iPods, uh, virtual reality headsets, things that teachers would want to use but either wouldn't purchase for themselves, that students want to use but wouldn't be able to afford themselves, um, but are still curricularly relevant and necessary. And among your students who are aged 14 to 18 and quite diverse, what books are particularly popular? I think that we are really focusing on diverse literature and own voices literature. It's really um, important these days. Having themselves represented in the collection is very important, I think, to teenagers. So having books by diverse authors and authors who are speaking from their own experience is very important these days. I know that um, hero literature is always very popular, ones where you're rescuing. I think that dystopian literature is um, currently experiencing a downturn <laughs> because no one wants to read about reality. So <laughs> I think that probably that will be a less popular category <laughs> going forward. And what about books then from, and this, I'm using this, these quotations here, but from the canon or from the great books, would you use any of those books or is it more exclusively the kind of ones you're talking about where students can see themselves reflected? So popular literature is always important to have in the library for students who enjoy reading and to advocate for students to become readers. However, it's always important to have the canon. So if the students are learning about periods in history or specific books are being referenced, then those need to be in the collection also. For example, we have multiple complete sets of Shakespeare because a student may read a Shakespeare play as required in their language arts class and want to read more, and those should be available and accessible to them. They also frequently lose the book that was issued by their teacher. And because we don't want to have barriers to reading, we need to have those accessible in the library as well. And do you lose many books in that way from say students not returning them or books going missing? Absolutely. But that's also why we have a library budget. We do not charge fines and we don't charge for lost books because students who can't afford their books can't afford the fine either. And what we don't want is for students to be discouraged or afraid to take books out of the library. So making sure that they know that whatever the knowledge is that is included in the library is freely available without charge, either now or later, is very important to having students being encouraged to read. A lot of schools in Ireland, whether they're primary or secondary schools, they don't have a dedicated librarian. And given what you've studied about librarianship and given your experience of doing the job, what do you think schools who don't have a librarian currently could learn from your experience and from your expertise about the role of a library in a school? I'm just shocked, <laughs> shocked that there is not a school librarian in every school. I think what you're missing is the value of an interdisciplinarian, someone who can make connections you're also putting the huge burden of finding every resource on the classroom teacher. So you are not only closing off all of the new ideas that the librarian has, you're missing the connections that the librarian can make. 
and you're also missing that instructional piece where the librarian can teach with you. It's a huge loss. Not having a person means that there is no one in that school who's dedicated to advancing literacy. You may have a reading specialist, you have a lot of language arts teachers who are fantastic and very strong teachers, but that puts so much of a weight on them and it, to find new things. Like part of my job is this new cool thing has come down and I'm sharing that resource with my teachers. Without that school librarian, those teachers have to do it themselves every day, every year. And it's a huge burden. If you weren't there, would the school have another teacher instead of you? Yes. Mm -hmm. so, so that is a choice that the school makes, that they... Oh, that no. They, no. There's a school librarian in every school. It is not legal to not have a school librarian. In the district you live in and work in? In the state, yes. In the state, okay. Mm -hmm. And There are states who don't have school librarians, and their scores are suffering. And it's interesting to watch those happen. For example, Kansas does not have, is not required to have a school librarian in every school. And as a result, their reading scores have dropped significantly because they don't have that person in there who is dedicated to the literacy of those students. And what is the history of school libraries in the United States? School libraries, like all libraries in the United States, were a founded by industrialists and when you have Carnegie and others who are advocating for libraries because as you know the United States is very much about autodidacts and people who are teaching themselves and bootstrapping is the American way right so having someone who is available for that purpose in a school is very important the actual first school librarian was in San Francisco, and um, she was <laughs> extremely influential with many famous writers in the San Francisco area coming out in the 1890s. And as a result of her influence, her name was actually also Ida, which was very fun. <laughs> Ida Smith. She was very influential on many writers. So she was the um, librarian for both Jack London and Isadora Duncan. She also, for Gertrude Atherton. So she had several, several patrons in her library who became very influential writers. So with her influence on the authors, the having school librarians became very popular. And in the industrial age, it was even more popular to have the librarian in the school. And it functions similarly right now. When students have ideas, they generally come to the library where we can help them research their idea. And we have all of the things that they can use to make their idea some kind of reality. We have a lot of technology. We have a lot of tools. We have a lot of building items. We have a lot of cardboard that they can use to prototype their ideas. So that's the past in terms of the history of the library. How, how do you see the future of the library in schools, uh, given the changes in technology and the changes in students' habits and their lives outside of school? I think that libraries will become innovation hubs. 
And as we move further in that direction, I think we'll have more and more of that idea pool where students are coming to the library to enact those ideas, to find out about how those ideas have been used in the past, to learn how to code, to learn how to make and create and engineer, and to make connections to the world. So I think that the library is becoming and has sort of like is evolving into an innovation hub and a place where students and teachers and community members are gathering to create new knowledge. And I appreciate and really like that about being in that space because I'm in that mix of people who are creating interesting and new ideas that make cool things. You know, Steve Jobs hung out in the library. Bill Gates still in the library. <laughs> you know, having those kinds of innovators in your space is really exciting and interesting and making sure that we have the equipment and the resources necessary to make those innovations is also really important. Do you have many computers in the library or are they stored in a computer laboratory? All students have their own laptops in our school. We do have quite a few what I would term innovation computers. So those are ones that have a higher processing speed, a little more juice to them than the students issued laptops so that they can do some more high-end work, like working in Adobe Premiere, some of the more advanced sound capabilities, so that they can do those higher-end things. Do you ever display samples of students' own writing in the library? Absolutely. Or, uh, uh, is some of their writing accessible in the library? We love it when students publish their work. So we help them when they have. We have an entire creative writing club that goes on. It's sponsored by the lovely Charlotte Wood at our school. And students write and publish books. And those are cataloged and kept in the collection at Albemarle. So students can come and see not only their work, but also the work of past students, which is really fun and important. So helping students in that way to become authors is really important. We also do a lot of helping students to enter writing contests and sponsoring them through the process of getting published by um, publishing houses. Are there particular books or blogs or resources that you use to enhance your work and to stimulate ideas and your own thinking about the work of school librarianship? Absolutely. So I write frequently for a publication called School Library Connection and also School Library Journal, both of which are excellent publications. I'm also very involved in the work of the Maker Educator Collective. And what is, what is that? The Maker Educator Collective. And they are a group of educators who are dedicated to helping students make their ideas reality. So learning how to manufacture an idea and learning how to do that in the school library is very exciting. And associated with that, do you have 3D printing in the library? Absolutely, yes. We have both 3D printing and laser cutting. So both additive and subtractive manufacturing is important to have. One of our school librarians is very addicted to the idea of laser cutting chocolate and laser cuts chocolate a lot. Um, we also have several um, crickets. So we do some um, manufacturing of vinyl and paper. 
So that's what, what are they? Cr crickets? Cricket? Yeah, it's computer aided cutting. So it's not quite a CNC machine, but it is close. Is it a little bit like the Ellison letter cutting machine? No, they're great machines for cutting. We've used them for sticker making, for I used them to make my um, masks for the pandemic. Okay, yeah. So it can cut fabrics and patterns and stickers, all kinds of things. So okay. it's a little machine that lets you cut all kinds of things. Okay. We use those quite a lot because we use them to make signs. We use them to make stickers. We use them to make fabric patterns. We have a sewing machine, things like that. And what do you use the 3D printers for? Um, generally, I've used them mostly for assistive technologies. So creating items that help in some way. For example, I had a student who had difficulty moving her wrist joint. So we manufactured a spoon that turned at a 90 degree angle. So with this motion, she could use the spoon. So we've done a lot of assistive technologies. You can print out math problems, which is really fun. If you've ever printed out functions that come out looking a little bit like mattress foam, a little wavy, we've used them to print out things that we've forgotten. We've used them to print out the um, hooks that people are using for their PPE to make those adjustable. So the 3D printers are really exciting. I wish that they were faster in their <laughs> creation. I prefer the laser cutter just because it's faster. Plus it smells really good. <laughs> what kind of chemicals are in it, I'm afraid to ask. <laughs> um, we usually use the laser cutters to cut out cardboard. So because we're doing rapid prototyping, so having students build things quickly so that they can get a design that's functional before they go to the 3D printer. So using the laser cutter on the cardboard really means that it smells like a campfire, which is quite lovely. The 3D printer, depending on what materials you're using, often smells like pancakes, which is great in the morning. <laughs> We're coming near the end, May, so I have a few general questions that I generally ask guests. And the first one is, was there a teacher who had a significant impact on you? Yes, there was. I had a teacher who taught me freshman history in high school, and she was very influential on me in that she didn't let me get away with anything. So <laughs> as the smart people among us know, but sometimes you can do the minimum of work and it's fine. You'll get your B and you'll go home and everything will be fine. And she would never let me get away with it. She would return papers to me with no grade on them. And I would have to keep returning it until I got a grade. And it was painful, painful. But she was an amazing teacher. And I understood the value of hard work in her class because you couldn't do the minimum. There was no minimum. The minimum did not exist. So you can only go up, which was fantastic. Was it just you she treated in that way or did she treat all students like that? Do you know? 
Um, I would say that my um, peer group in high school was significantly higher achieving than I was. So <laughs> they were more incentivized to make effort than I was. I was not a good student in high school. So it was important and exciting to have a teacher who wasn't going to let me skate and just do what I wanted in order to get out. So having a teacher who poked me all the time was ultimately in my best interest, even if I didn't like it at the time. But I remember her very clearly and remember having, that was the only class I had to run in. Everything else I could just sort of stroll through the year. <laughs> that was the class where I had to like get a little bit of a jog going in order to get the grade, right? What is school for or what are schools for in your view? This is a distinctly American question as we have a citizenry that is dependent. Our entire political system is dependent on an educated populace. Without an educated populace, our system of government does not function. So having a school system that is strong, that is rigorous, that really emphasizes those democratic ideals and pushes kids forward, not only to contribute to the economy, because that's good, but also to make our society a better place is really important. And it's important to making sure that our life, our country, our government goes forward. Without schools, you know, America does not exist. You know, we have had public schools for a very, very long time. And the reason we've had public schools for a very long time goes back to Thomas Jefferson, whose house is right across over there. You know, he, is the person who said you must have an educated populace. So in order to make our country and the world work and be a better place, we need better citizens and that's what school is for. So if we take that next step then, you've talked about an educated populace. What's your vision of an educated person? I think my vision of an educated person is someone who is continually learning. Having someone who is always wanting to know more, know better, know differently is an educated person. It's the knowing is, being educated is not knowing more, it is wanting to know more. So understanding what you don't know is more important than understanding what you already know. So an educated person would be someone who is always moving forward, lifelong learning, right? always reading, always asking more questions, always experimenting with something else. So yeah, an educated person is not educated yet, I think. They're always dissatisfied. Yes, someone who is dissatisfied with the current state of their knowledge. That seems <laughs> correct to me. <laughs> and finally, do you have a favorite book or blog or writer about education? Yes. <laughs> it will make you laugh. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Neil Postman is the author of Teaching as a Subversive Activity. And that book, I think, is my favorite educational book because it really does not just concentrate on content, 
but the development of the thinker and making sure that our thinkers are always questioning, always asking more, always thinking about more, always seeking more information, like creating that kind of path of thinking is far more important than the content. So yeah, teaching is a subversive activity. Do you know he wrote, he wrote a follow-up to that called teaching as a conserving activity? Yes, I did that. I also really like Walden as a book. And well, that's the one Thoreau, that I heard. Thoreau, is that right? Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. And thinking carefully, especially in this time of quiet in our lives, about where we fit into the machinations of a society as a whole and taking a moment to think about how our lives work and what our places in that work is an important moment right now. May, that's been so interesting and so <laughs> insightful in terms of school libraries and so on. If people are interested in your work and they want to find out more about you, what's the best way to get in touch? I know you're on Twitter. Have you other social media Yes, presence. I'm also on Facebook as myself, Ida May Craddock. And they're welcome to contact me there as well. And you're Ida May Craddock on Twitter as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll put links to everything you mentioned in the show notes. So thank you so much for doing this. I was happy to, and hopefully you guys will hire more school librarians. Just shocked. Y'all need to get on board. And that was school librarian from the Albemarle School System, Ida May Craddock, making the case for a school librarian in every school. May was introduced to me by a longtime supporter of the podcast, John Heffernan. Thanks, John, for that introduction. Remember, if you enjoyed this episode of Inside Education, you can listen to or download hundreds of previous episodes by going to seandelaney.com and clicking on Podcasts. I'd be grateful if you leave a review of the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter, where I use the handle at InsideEd. You can email me with comments, queries. You can email me with comments, questions or suggestions to InsideEducationPodcast at yahoo.com. My book about teaching, Become the Primary Teacher Everyone Wants to Have, is available from online bookstores and good local libraries. Until next week, this is Sean Delaney signing off. Thank you for listening. <music>